This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Wednesday, April 27th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Here are the stories we're working on today. Online sexual harassment is not permitted among military members. There's even an executive order making it punishable under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Despite that, a years-long investigation finds the Pentagon isn't tracking reports of cyberbullying, and women are reporting it's happening every day. We talked to our sister station, Federal News Network's Scott Massioni, about why this pattern of denigration isn't being addressed. They track everything that is flying around the earth in the atmosphere and outside the atmosphere that's a softball size or larger. They have the means to do this. They can track a lot of different things. This is just one that they really haven't put a lot of resources into. And Pennsylvania Avenue is known around the world as the U.S. President's Street and the road to the U.S. Capitol. Now WTOP's Kyle Cooper tells us city planners are going back to the drawing board for a major redesign. Think about this, a park between the Capitol and the White House, a park with no cars. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Megan Cloherty. So we have to start today with a little warning. This conversation includes some sexually explicit material about online harassment. So if that's triggering for you or not appropriate for someone else in the car, you might want to skip ahead. Just after 8 a.m. December 30th last year, a woman working in the military sent out a tweet that read, quote, It's simply too early in the GD morning for unsolicited dick pics. Exasperated by online harassment from her colleagues, that one tweet kicked off a larger conversation about sexual harassment, bullying, hazing, and intimidation that many service members, namely women, say is everyday online behavior by their colleagues. Joining us now on Skype is Scott Massioni with Federal News Network, who has been investigating cyber harassment in the military for years. Scott, in your investigation published this week, you interviewed a number of women who say they've been the subject of denigration and you found a troubling trend. Tell us what you've been finding. Well, you're right. This trend has been very troubling. And this doesn't just go into the sexual harassment realm, but it goes into many different things. That includes bullying, uh, doxing, which is where someone's uh, home address is posted online and then they're stalked or uh, harassed in certain ways or even assaulted. Um, this goes into memes where people just make pictures of women uh, making fun of them for getting pregnant and being in the military or for um, just simply being something other than the traditional housewife, which the more misogynistic side of the the world thinks. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is something that a lot of women are dealing with and they are uh, really feeling a mental health toll and also the military is feeling a toll in terms of retention in keeping these women in the military when they have to go through all of these sorts of, of aspects of harassment. And so you're saying that the Pentagon is really refusing to comment on this. Tell us about your attempts to talk to the military about this harassment within their ranks. 
Yeah, well, I spent more than two years trying to uh, talk to the military about this and really have been stymied at every turn. I've tried talking to the services, trying to talking to the Pentagon itself, the Marine Corps, which is, you know, sort of a subservice in a way, but also its own service underneath the Department of the Navy. Uh, each time they've either said they didn't really have a person who really followed these kinds of things. They had someone who talked about sexual harassment or assault writ large, but like I said, this is something that goes past just sexual assault and harassment and goes into bullying and hazing as well. So, uh, you know, they did not give us an opportunity to talk to anyone about online harassment in general. They wouldn't really talk about it pointedly with specific instances either. Now, the one instance that you brought up at the beginning of the show with the uh, woman tweeting about getting a dick pic, that uh, is, is one where the Marine Corps said that they're investigating that person and that investigation is ongoing and really couldn't say anything else except for that since they wanted to afford him privacy. Mm-hmm. Well, President Biden recently signed an executive order making sexual harassment punishable under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which obviously, I mean, that's a good step. But in your reporting, it seems there doesn't appear to be any tracking or enforcement happening. What did you find? Um, that seems kind of counter to the idea that the president will come out and say, this is not okay. Right. So this came from the president's executive order and also in the 2022 Defense Authorization Act. So it's been doubly codified within uh, our the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uh, the whole point of it is to take that sort of behavior away from uh, just being in a under the, the article of a a behavior unbecoming of an officer. So it makes it easier to categorize and therefore maybe get some sort of data on this. Hmm. However, even online harassment, that's something else that is completely different. And, you know, we also have to take into account that the online harassment is not just sexual in nature. So, you know, bullying and hazing are are other ways that they're doing this. So there's no exact way that they are really honing down and saying, okay, this is how many people are doing this. This is how how often it's happening. But one of the more baffling things is that the Defense Department, I mean, it has a lot of resources. They track everything that is flying around the earth in the atmosphere and outside the atmosphere that's a softball size or larger. Mm. So they have the means to do this. Uh, They can track a lot of different things. Uh, This is just one that they really haven't put a lot of resources into. Right. And it sounds as if, and you can, you know, uh, tell me if this is the case, that this harassment is getting in the way of recruitment and really getting in the way of their operational goals. In your reporting on this, what did your sources and people tell you about that? Yeah, well, you know, as you know, women are 51 percent of the population. The United States uh, uh, military can only really recruit from about 30 percent of the youths between 17 and 24. And then only about 13, 14 percent of those have a propensity to actually serve. So it's a very small pool and they need women to fill some of these ranks. And not only that, but women are really great for the military. They bring in diverse opinions. They help with readiness. And uh, really, they've shown that to make readiness better. So when it comes to actually recruiting uh, these women and and keeping them in the military, there's still women that are very propensed to serve. But once they're in the military and they're facing these sorts of harassment, it gets to their in their head, you know, that they end up suffering from mental illness. Uh, The National Institutes of Health has said that online harassment can cause suicidal ideation. It can cause um, really depression, anxiety. These are things that really push people out of the military. Why would you want to serve and really serve under people or with people who are treating you as not a peer, but as, you know, either an object or someone who is not worthy of their time. 
Yeah, and in your reporting, there's been a lot of harassment based on these antiquated gender roles, right? For example, you say, you know, there's been instances of telling women to get back in the kitchen, jokes about using pregnancy to get out of training, comments like, I bet your cookies are good, which of course could be a euphemism. But did you get a sense from your interviews that this online harassment is worse than what women or, you know, other groups experience in another work environment? You know, it's hard to say because women, I think, in general, are harassed much more online uh, just purely for being a minority and for being uh, someone who is is a class that's protected in some ways. Um, But I think in the military, because its culture is so masculine and it really hasn't changed, it's always uh, more conservative than the actual nation writ large, that yes, it is hitting women harder and especially ones that are serving in uniform. Uh, one of the people I talked to, a former uh, Air Force prosecutor, said that you know every time a woman posts a picture of her in uniform, she's just putting a target on her back. And you know one of the other things is when it comes to actually bringing this up and bringing it to a senior leader, a lot of women are feeling a retaliation and getting retaliation from their senior leaders. And uh, a lot of what they're saying has been minimized. Uh, 52% of people uh, say when they're sexually harassed in the military that they're getting retaliation in some form or another. So you can only imagine what the harassment might be as well. And and just to follow up on that question, you in your reporting, you did this for years. You were tracking different hashtags and not only talking to people, but really just kind of keeping your eye on these social media channels that are used in the military community. Can you talk about some of that work so people understand how you've been watching this trend? Yeah, I mean, it, it really started, interestingly enough, out of an accident. Um, you know, I just follow privates, sergeants, colonels, everyone on, you know, mill Twitter, on TikTok, on every social media, because that's how I report. And that's how many people report. And I just kept noticing a lot of the women just kept bringing up or posting screenshots of things that they would receive every single day. And then we would just kind of dig a little deeper. There's a lot of advocacy groups out there, Protect Our Defenders, Not In My Marine Corps. They focus mostly on sexual assault, but these are other issues that they kind of talk about. So, you know, they hooked me up with a few other people who are experiencing this. And after a while, you know, you kind of build this community of women who are saying, you know, I I can't take this anymore. I don't want to take this anymore because I'm a valued member of this military and I don't deserve this. It really kind of came to a culmination with that one tweet that you brought up because the person who sent that dick pic was someone who was fairly respected in the military and was a mentor to a lot of women and really just turned every experience that he had into something that ended up being sexually aggressive or asking women who were as young as 18 to get blackout drunk with him uh, and knowing exactly where they live, offering to go to their house, uh, doing some things that were, you know, really dangerous and unsafe for them. Mm. And so for women in the military who are facing this you know, sort of harassment, what options do they have? Well, uh, unfortunately, there's not too many options. The military works in a completely different way in terms of its uh, prosecutions. They have their own sort of system, and they're trying to change that right now when it comes to sexual assault in terms of taking that out of the chain of command. But, you know, one of the things I bring up in this article is that a lot of the commanders and the top people who make these decisions are people who are older and don't really understand or aren't even on social media so they don't they don't get it you know um they they don't understand that it's not like the construction worker uh you know sitting on the side of the road whistling at someone or you know trying to grab someone's behind Uh, instead you know this is online but very much similar to that 
It's great reporting here. Federal News Network, Scott Massioni. And there are resources out there for the general public, of course, and for service members by branch. Scott has listed a few in his story if you find yourself in this situation. Really good stuff, Scott. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. After the break, perhaps D.C.'s most iconic street is preparing for a makeover. How designers are rethinking whether cars belong on Pennsylvania Avenue. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. People over cars, that's the idea behind proposed makeovers of Pennsylvania Avenue, one of the nation's most iconic roads. The National Capital Planning Commission recently released three plans that are in the works to redesign the stretch of road between the White House and the U.S. Capitol. And you've got to see these renderings. Some look nothing like the current Pennsylvania Avenue. Apparently, a 2018 study found 20 feet of the avenue are being wasted on traffic lanes. So urban designers have a lot of room to work with here. WTOP's Kyle Cooper is here now on Zoom, and he's going to walk us through these proposed designs. So, Kyle, before we get to those three redesigns, why is the National Capital Planning Commission doing this now? In other words, what's wrong with the current Pennsylvania Avenue between the White House and the Capitol? Yeah, there's a couple of things going on here. One is that, you know, Pennsylvania Avenue is probably the most um, famous avenue in the United States, right? Everybody knows Pennsylvania Avenue. They know the White House is on one end and the Capitol is on the other. So there's this idea that what it looks like now, there's sort of a sense of decline, Mm. that the avenue is not meeting what it could be um, if we just put a little more effort into it. And then there's this other idea of post-pandemic thinking urban space, green space, places for people to go. And there's a thought that Pennsylvania Avenue could become more of a destination. Think about this. When you come to Washington, you probably don't plan to go to Pennsylvania Avenue unless you're going there for, you know, a parade or for the inauguration. You know, you're going to the White House, you're going to the Smithsonian, but you're not putting Pennsylvania Avenue on the list The planners want that to become something that's on your list, that you go there. That's for people coming in from out of town. Everybody else, those of us who live here, they want to make it a destination spot, more friendly, where you can go down and hang out and do stuff like, you know, like you're going to the wharf or something like that. Let's get to the renderings, Kyle. There are three, one of them named the Linear Green, which kind of stood out to me. It almost turns the roadway into a walkway completely. So this seems like the most drastic design change, right? Absolutely. Think about this, a park between the Capitol and the White House, a park with no cars. That's what Linear Green's all about. No cars would be allowed on that stretch of roadway now, 1.2 miles in between there. Complete transformation. I'm not talking, you know, necessarily like Central Park, New York. Right. <laughs> but but right. think that way instead of what you see now. Think about the mall, you know, the green space on the mall mm-hmm. being extended all the way over <laughs> to mm. the curb there where you've got just green space. You've got bike trails that go all around, probably some kind of public transportation that goes up through there, but absolutely no cars. That's the big difference in linear green. No cars, no cars at all. No cars at all for that particular design. 
Wow. And so there are two others. There is the urban capital and the civic stage plan. What do these look like and how are they different than this linear green plan? Yeah, urban capital would end up being more like what's there now, but spruced up. However, no matter what happens, you're going to have less lanes going on Pennsylvania Avenue between the Capitol and the White House. They would take two lanes out, two lanes of traffic out and put in really wide sidewalks. So, you know, thinking about going down there and hanging out, you got to have space, right? For people to hang out, there's got to be benches. There's got to be places for vendors to be so you can, you know, get a cup of coffee or a slice of pizza or whatever it is. So that one um, is going to be more similar to what you see now, but spruced up and wider sidewalks. The other one is interesting because it would take in place all of the activity in a middle boulevard all the way between the Capitol and the White House. So you'd have this long middle boulevard of all this activity and maybe one lane of traffic on each side. So you can see the differences between those threes. No cars, some cars in the other, the third one being a little bit of a mix. Sounds like the cars are, I mean, secondary, if not tertiary, in the last one you were talking about. Like, oh, and by the way, there's a lane. Yeah, you you know how people are about their cars in D.C. Remember the, <laughs> you guys I know, remember how big a deal it was after the Oklahoma City bombing and they blocked off in front of the White House driving down there. People threw yeah. a fit. You used to be able to, yeah. to drive right in front of the White House mm. and then they blocked it off. And then after 9-11, of course, then the, the major barricades went up and you haven't been able to drive by there since. Yeah, you haven't been able to drive by the White House for a long time. Of course, you can drive Pennsylvania Avenue a little bit further up, but right. this would, you know, one of those designs would change that completely. Mm. And so, Kyle, is this redesign of Pennsylvania Avenue, is it a done deal or are these urban planners just kind of throwing some ideas out there, seeing what the people think? Where are we? It is not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. We're talking years here before any of this might actually start and be done. The idea is to get something in place that can last the next 30 years. They actually really think that the final design will be a melding of these three. It may not Mm. be any one of these three, but some compromise between these three. But we're a long way before you're going to see any of these actually in place. There's a public meeting on this coming up. It's online. You can register to be part of that and kind of hear the designs. You know, it's it's a federal thing. It's a D.C. thing. It's not just one thing. Mm. So um, they want to hear from city residents. They want to hear what the national folks have to say. They're getting all this input in, and then they'll make a decision. Well, Kyle, thank you for bringing us up to date. Sounds like we're kind of far out from it, but this time is kind of consequential as this idea, you know, was really forming. So thanks for updating us on it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And before we go, Megan, we all know how expensive it is to live in the D.C. area, but... In my free time, I've actually been able to learn how expensive with the help of our Thomas Roberts. In your free time? Yes, in my free time. Yeah, I uh, go home, eat, and then I go on to my favorite website, Craigslist.com, and (laughs) I try to find some steals for our friend Thomas, who's been trying to find an apartment. Right, Thomas? That's been brutal. It's been been tough sledding out here, (laughs) I tell you. You can hear the frustration in his voice. And we're bringing Thomas in because so many of us have been in this position where it's just like, can I just find something that is livable, that is not going to kill my bank account. Thomas, what do you want out of an apartment? I want something that I can afford, like a reasonable price that's within, I don't have to. Under $1,500. Yeah, I don't want to spend a whole two-week paycheck on just rent. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, no, I have no money. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, space for me is not a huge deal. So I'm not really looking for like an incredible amount of square feet. Just something that I know is not going to have glaring issues, kind of like the place that I live at now, which granted inside the Beltway, $650 a month. Proof that it's out there, but it's also infested with mice right. and crickets. Oh and so you're gonna you're gonna pay in another way. Yeah, with your yeah. sanity. Yeah, right. I, I've done that. So Thomas has reached his limit. I'm at and my wit's end. He wants simple things. And I think we all know this, but Luke, you were referencing earlier where DC ranks, like compared to other cities in the in the country. Yeah, there's a rank. new report out. So during the pandemic, you know, everyone flew to the suburbs or the ex-suburbs, even beyond the suburbs, right. for more space. And so prices for rent in metropolitan areas went down. But right now, we're seeing like 20% increases in almost all major metropolitan areas. And so like New York's number one, most expensive. And then D.C. ranks like six or seven most expensive city to live in um, in the country. And it's Thomas really goes, expensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not even D.C. proper. Like, you just sent me a place in Sterling, yeah. which is, you know... Quite a hike out there, and it's it's seventeen hundred dollars for a one bedroom apartment. Wow! That's because you want the fancy, you want the nice newer kind of apartment. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to find in an older city, but we'll get we there. wish you the best of luck, Thomas. I appreciate it. We're making progress. Let's try. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks for joining us on the DMV Download, produced by me, Megan Cloherty, and me, Luke Garrett. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get a chance. You can find out more about the show at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is produced by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at wtop.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a good night, everyone.